just get some lube off of the, the tape behind you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, every time I pick up the post, I like to give myself a quick um, uh, going over. Rub. Nice, nice. Um, ooh, the microphone's picking that up. Have, um, hand gel envy, one second. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Slippity slappity-slop. Who thought a podcast could begin with us putting alcohol gel on, despite the fact we're not even face-to-face -face doing this recording? Well, I, I hope we're not live. Um, if we were, would it be a problem? <laughs> it might it just might come across as slightly kinky and that's all i'm saying okay well, <laughs> hi you listeners. really need to put that bottle away now what <laughs> um good morning good evening good afternoon good overnight i don't know why i say it in the wrong order these days but hey ho um i'm anthony price and i'm jonathan bradley and we thought that it would be quite interesting to bring in some of our broadcasting history, some of our heroes, uh, some of our stories, and things that we think are useful in organisations that can draw on radio, communication, broadcasting. And we're not, you know, we're not expert as such uh in in broadcasting what do you I, mean I'm gonna, well, <laughs> well i'm just gonna say that you know I, I i don't i don't class myself as a as an expert broadcaster i, I describe myself as a broadcaster mm. i come from a broadcasting background but i'm not I, i'm not arrogant enough to say that i'm you know up up there with the greats of broadcasting mm. i think of names like kenny everett uh, which is a British, uh, you know, the, uh, the most phenomenal broadcaster known to man. Mm. And um, Howard yeah, there Stern's are the, a big one in the US, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. So I, I don't, I, I'm, I wouldn't describe us as being there. But what we do have is uh, experience of being on this side of the mic, and also from a managerial perspective. And in in radio land the object of the exercise was to increase hours and reach, reach and hours. And I think that's extremely relevant to people in the world of work these days, because if we are not going to be seeing people as much, we've got to be damn good communicators and damn good collaborators. So we thought it'd be quite useful to draw on some of our own experience and uh, bring in some of our other uh, experts and ideas that just might be quite handy uh, with that in mind. So you may be wondering as a listener, what has broadcasting competencies and skills got that I could learn from? But as JB's just alluded to there, with our remote workforce possibly becoming a business as usual and I certainly am feeling that myself in the company that I do work with um, most extensively um, but actually for a long time my team being a learning and development function for an organization they have had to already become better broadcasters in the absence of being face to face with people there are a lot more challenges to making sure your message is reached and received by your listeners, your viewers, if you will, depending on whether you have a video on or not. And as such, the broadcaster skill for me has never been more required in business than today. My team have the advantage that for the last three years they have been delivering virtually, but with many people listening to this podcast, perhaps waking up in a new world where this is now the business as usual, working remotely. How do you read your audience when you may not be able to see their face? How do you structure what you do in a meeting or in a communication session that not dissimilar to a radio presenter, 
is where you're sat in an isolated room with perhaps a window and not much else, a microphone on your computer, or maybe you have a, a nice microphone, and that's all you have apart from your brief. Now, ultimately, broadcasters may get feedback through social media or text messages, which is how they used to interact with me many moons ago when I was in broadcasting. But as JB says, there is so much that a broadcaster has in their skill set. And I think there is huge value for people leaders to perhaps take some skills away from their experiences, which hopefully during the next 45 minutes an hour, we will cover. Um, of course, in a, sorry, my microphone's playing up. <clears throat> oh dear. There we go. That's better. Sorry, listeners. That would have gone all staticky. Um, I need a new mixing desk, JB. That that we'll have to put that one through the expenses books of the podcast, which is already making a massive loss. Anyway, um, so that as well as your listener questions, we have two questions to tackle at the end. And as you are always aware, we love your questions and interaction. And that can be reached by emailing us at globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. The reason I give it out now is maybe during this particular episode, there are questions that might not be answered by us. So stick them in a message to us and we'll tackle them in a couple of weeks time because we next week have a, so our next episode, we have a, a special without questions. But anyway, I digress. JB, where, where should we commence our broadcast today? Well, I, I want to start uh, with the word authenticity. Oh, See, that's what do you I, mean, I, I JB? To, uh, being authentic, yeah. does that mean uh, talking, you know, really uh, like an <laughs> authentic disc jockey? Well, I think that could present uh, a few a few little snags straight away for people who yeah. are new to Zoom and trying to engage their teams. And if they started talking a little bit like that, I think uh, <laughs> it might come across as inauthentic. Yeah. So what do we mean by authentic? I think it's just being you. Uh, it's presenting you. And sometimes it's quite risky doing that, isn't it? It's like, oh, I thought I had to be really formal. And, you know, I've got to keep up this persona of, of being in control and organising everything so brilliantly and so beautifully. And if you're stressed uh, when you're broadcasting, uh, I think it can... Uh, kind of formalize the presentation and you sound like a a PowerPoint doing bullet points. <laughs> you don't sound like someone having a chat with someone. And so my, I always think in these situations that I'm in a pub and I'm, I'm sitting with somebody and I'm having a chat and I, I have always an idea of where I'm going with uh, my presentation. But I'm Do sitting you? in a pub. Hang on a minute. I've been working with you for years. I thought you'd been going look, off on tangents left, right. Look, look at all this. Look at my notes. Acres of planning and preparation for these He's, he's telling podcasts. the truth. He's telling the truth, listeners. Yeah. <sighs> well, I always have at least three things that I'm going to want to provide the listener by the end of the show. I've always got that roughly in my head. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not one to uh, go into too for much for, for their affair. <laughs> I, I'm not one to go into too much formal detail because I know that I get a bit stilted and I sound like a a, a kind of, I don't know, something like a, a, a CEO without much personality. Can you imagine? Um, I, I get all bullet pointing and formal. Mm. But I had that whipped out of me many moons ago uh, where I stood in front of a whole radio station and I told them how it was going to be and I was wearing my pinstripe suit oh. and I was Mr. Formal and Mr. Directive. Authentic was, JB right there with a the pinstripe suit. Oh my goodness. Uh, they, Your audience knows, ladies and gentlemen, they flipping know and they, they just looked at me and they were so disappointed this guy had turned up from group <laughs> wearing his suit, being a complete knob. And they gave me <laughs> and they gave me the feedback. Oh my god! Well, I did ask for it. I said, "Oh, so what do you what do you think uh, about the plan and moi?" And uh, I got some really, really, really tough feedback. Well, we we thought you were we thought you were a bit more fun. We thought you were a bit more cool, and I don't quite understand what the hell's going on here. So I got I got confused. I I just thought, right, I've got to be a suit. 
I've got to go and tell them how it is. That's what I was told to go and do. So I went and did that. But it wasn't me. It really, really wasn't me. And it was the best bit of feedback I've ever had. Mm. And it, and I kind of, I, I learned how to, to relax a little bit more after that. And it has definitely affected my communication style. Just to, just to be me and, you know, but yeah. there's a plan uh, underneath it all, uh, which I intend to get across uh, during a broadcast or podcast or whatever. There you go, and it's your turn now. Th- thank you so much. So I, I incidentally also, inspired by JB, have some key things I thought were important to take away, and I thought I would tackle the first one mainly because JB has alluded to it just now, which is script versus um, bullet points I've put on my piece of paper, which mm. I think feeds into a couple of things here. Um, as a leader, perhaps doing a webinar um, to your team, a weekly team call, um, there is a risk, and I've seen it happen so often, that up comes the PowerPoint slides, which nine times out of ten fills most of your audience with dread anyway. They already have minimized your 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 webinar screen and are now doing their emails or their Excel spreadsheet or their job hunting. Um, and you need to to hold court you need to cut through the audience into their attention, into their mind, and you need to make it so that they can remember it a couple of days later. Uh, and having a script for me is the biggest risk of losing that authenticity that you could possibly have. Not only does it give you the risk that if you happen to lose track of where you are in the script, people know very quickly you're reading from a script because you then mumble while you're looking for where you were in the script again, but it completely lacks any authenticity. And even worse still, if your script's on the PowerPoint slide, they know you're reading from it and it just, well, do you know what? Shut up, I'll read it myself, thanks. So when you are using PowerPoint, I've always endorsed a couple of things. One is bullets, not a script. Give yourself the ability. You know what you're talking about. I presume you do. You lead a team of people. So the bullets are there to prompt you, but you are the one that's going to bring that bullet to life. The bullets should be something that they can recall things for a few days later, but that should be enough because the wonderful story that you build around each of those bullets is what's going to bring it home for the audience. But then there's one thing further. As I mentioned earlier, you need to not only cut through the noise of their attention, you also need to make sure that they remember it in a few days' time. So if you're one of these people that that likes to just put words up on a screen, that ain't enough. There is, a huge, there is a huge amount of study work done around the value of having images and text together as well as your speech because you're giving the audience more opportunities to remember what it is that you're saying because they have the graphic, they have the words, which are two reference points, plus they have the audio track of you articulating those points in a way. If you just had just a load of sea of text on a screen and no personality from you, you're probably only giving them one opportunity to remember. With them having a graphic, with them having, um, my, my microphone's gone quiet again, I'm gonna have to change the, the mod in a second. Um, with all those things said, there we go, it's popped back now. I'll have to fix it in a sec. When, you, when you're talking next, JB, I'm gonna do some fiddling with my knob. Um, <laughs> oh, oh no, sorry about that. So PowerPoint, have graphics, have bullets, no script, um, but make it, a really immersive slide which you can talk to because that gives you a far better opportunity. And this links probably nicely into what I'm suspecting JB's frothing at the mouth to talk about, which is opportunities to hear, which is a radio term which me and JB love. Well, so I'm going to take opportunities to hear and I'm gonna and I'm gonna turn it into a question, which is opportunity to hear what? And this is where storytelling in your, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a vodcast, whether it's a webinar, whatever it is, storytelling is so, so important. And I'm going to give you my advice on this and what works for me because it's a really good it's a good test it's a good test to make sure you're on track 
I think some of you have worked with us before and you know all about, will you stop doing that? <laughs> you see, the listeners can't hear that. You can. Oh, I see. You're getting my pre in, in my ear, I've got two, 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 this, 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 two, two. Sorry. Which has taken me right off my stride. I've now, I've anyway. now fixed my knob. And... <laughs> God's sake. I've fi- oh, um, Jesus. My knob's just fallen off again. Oh, um, really? Le- will you sort your technical stuff out? Right, I've twisted um, the knob to the correct setting, and hopefully if I don't touch my knob anymore, it shouldn't go off again. I was about to reach focus. the focus of my storytelling piece, which was uh, when, we're, when we're telling stories, uh, obviously we, we, it's really important to get your content right and your delivery and so on. But a really good thing to, to check in with is have I got a visual in my story that I can talk my audience through? Am I painting the picture of the swimming pool and the sun shining and the kids playing in the pool and the sound of splashing and the dog barking as it comes through the house and jumps straight into the pool. Have we got a visual of that? Because we want to be able to create this picture. We're doing a little bit of a picture here. Um, then we've got uh, the the auditory, uh, which, which I've explained, you know, you're the splashing. Uh, and you've got those lovely, lovely sounds of the pool and the dog barking. Um, and we're setting the scene of a family on holiday uh, in Marbella. Uh, they're having a lovely time. Uh, they've got some beers that are just clanking as they're cooling in the pool, held together by a little bit of string. And um, Those are big bottles if they're clanking, by the way. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, th- and, I'm thinking of these clanky bottles. You're doing yeah, it for so me. You've got, you've got the visual. You've got the clanky bottles. You've got some auditory stuff going on there. You're being stimulated, Ant, I think. Am I right? I need to go back to my knob then. Um, and then then we've got uh, we've got the kinesthetic. And this the kinesthetic bit, I think, that's a really, really important one. So Ant is on holiday there too. And Ant comes along and he's, he's, he's desperate to pick out that bottle out of that pool. He just really needs a beer. So I say, yeah, go ahead. Take it, Ant. And he pulls it out of the water and he can feel the cold water on the sides of this beer. And he opens the top of it and then glug, glug, glug goes down this beautiful, beautiful San Miguel. God, I want one now. Bloody hell. How long is it since you last had a beer, by the way? Because I know that's a running... Uh, Thing, isn't it? I haven't uh, for over a year. I haven't had a beer. But didn't you say on a previous episode, if I'm not mistaken, that you drank the bottom of a beer that you tipped into a chicken in a barbecue? Oh well, that's different. It's flavourings. It's not. Um... No, no. But didn't you say you finished the kind of the 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 dregs at the bottom? Well, exactly. That's that's all part of preparing myself for the chicken. I see. It's, it, you know, it's it's. I don't really see it as as going to a pub and having a beer. It's no, kind of like all part of the process of cooking. So I'm going to, I am going to, you know, the rules are there to be broken. It's a tiny little rule break. I think the listeners will accept that. They will. I hope anyway. Um, but anyway, there you are. You, you've got to, you, I built you a story and people think that in a Zoom session, uh, Adobe Connect or whatever, there's no place for, for storytelling. We've got to get down to the business of the facts and the, and the targets and the percentage of this and the percentage of the, the overall um, strategy and Yes, obviously, we need to do all of that. Mm. But don't stop being human. Don't, don't lose the opportunity of being in that imaginary pub or being by that imaginary pool. And, and think about uh, the visual, check. The auditory, check. Have we got the sounds that I'm helping someone to, to, to get in their mind? Um, and have we got the kinesthetic? And what are those percentages, uh, people's learning uh, of those three three parts? So um, for the listeners, um, you'll be... Now, uh, my mixer is on its way out. I think we're going to have to do some investment, definitely. So 40% of, the, uh, of any audience that you are listening to... Um, sorry, 40% of an audience that you might be talking to on a webinar will take in a preference of visual. So they prefer to see stuff to take on board information. There is then going to be 20% of your audience to prefer the soundtrack, the auditory, 
and there is then going to be the 40% that prefer the kinesthetic. Now, it's interesting because JB talks about the visual picture um, as his description, and he built this really interesting scene in my head. Um, but I, you see, I would argue, JB, that actually what you were doing was engaging with the kinesthetic part of my mind, because uh -huh. instead of me physically seeing something on the screen, which would be for me the visual piece, the kinesthetic is you telling me to cognitively process something in my head. Um, so for me, the visual is for the for the leaders is to put a slide on the screen. The auditory is the soundtrack of you telling me, uh, uh, and of course the sound effects and everything else. But kinesthetic is actually building the image in my head, so helping me understand. So it's when I you for me, I'm a kinesthetic preference through and through. Um, and for me, it was all about when you were describing that, my kinesthetic brain was going wild because you were telling me to imagine this scene. And I think where a lot of leaders miss this out is that they have a slide and they have a soundtrack. But actually what JB did very successfully there was to give us a kinesthetic instruction. And when you are in, when you know, if you're in a room with people, it's very easy to have a roundtable discussion. But even those face-to-face -face presenters, if they forget to involve the audience, even in a speech, they're going to miss out on that kinesthetic audience. So for me, JB makes a valid point for cognitive engagement with your audience. Ask them rhetorical questions. Remember the last time a customer rang you up and gave you a mouthful. How did it feel? Just think about that for a second. Bang, that's your kinesthetic audience engaged. Um, uh, I want you to imagine the scene, the, 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 the clanking. All that's kinesthetic for me because you're instructing me to cognitively process something. And so many virtual communicators, virtual leaders, they think all they need is a PowerPoint slide and a load of verbiage. And they think that's enough to cut through. And that's where I think some of them go wrong personally. But maybe I've got a different take on it to you, JB. But I guess we're never going to um, be exactly the same on everything, are we? Well, thank God for that. <laughs> um, I'd, I, so I think we, we must always be thinking about the listener's mind. And we are inserting things into the listener's mind. It is our starting point. And, you know, what, what is it that we want to put into the listener's mind? Yeah. Uh, information carries far more effectively when delivered as a story. I, th I would argue that people have forgotten the art of storytelling. I, I used to love uh, grown-ups who would come and uh, tell stories. Yeah. Uh, bedtime stories or you know they, they stood out as as fantastic teachers or parents or they just had a wonderful way of 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 getting you focused in and you always w walked away with a, a picture of you know a hero or a dog or or something that that was important in that story and my woodwork teacher mr goodwin uh, was the most brilliant storyteller on the planet. He happened to be a woodwork teacher and a geography teacher. He had those uh, two, two abilities. And he combined, uh, if he, for example, talked about the Vikings, um, he would explain exactly where the Vikings came from and where they uh, landed and, and how they uh, developed... Um, you know their their strength in Britain, and uh, but he also then described the clinker construction of their boats, and then would take us into uh, where we used to build all this uh, kind of weird stuff, and he'd show you a clinker construction boat, little boat uh, with clinker construction wood, and all of that as a as a young man. Uh, really got me excited about woodwork. I don't think I would have ever have entertained the idea of <laughs> doing a a mortise and tenon joint or a dovetail joint, but I can. And you know, built, you're I, building I, one in the garden. And I'm, I'm built, it's, my shed is going to be filled with all sorts of mortise and tenons. And I'm not, I'm not sure I'll bother with a dovetail, but or I might I might knock one up just to see if I still got the got the art. Is but Mr. Goodwin still on the planet? By the way, 
no he's mm. he's he was an extraordinary man you know he he had polio uh and he he could he his walking was was um you know re really difficult but uh he he was the most charismatic most brilliant kind man uh i found him most inspirational um but mainly because of the wonderful stories he told he just had this grasp of connecting up everything that we had to learn uh, like targets although he would never describe it as that but he'd build it he'd build our our a kind of inspiration to get to that distant shore by all of these stories that connected all together it was just intriguing and inspiring all the way so I, I guess what I'm putting across here is the importance of storytelling uh, towards a, a distant shore that you're trying to get to. Don't don't lose the art of storytelling. Do tell stories because it's really it's a it's a fantastic art that we need to yeah. to get back. Particularly as, as so much of our stuff now is going to be based on trust and virtual communications. We've got to work on our storytelling. Um, and, and helping people to stay on track with the bigger picture. Mm. Um, I, ju I just wanted to just fin top and tail that a little bit, with, which was, and, and it picked up a point you made, and about, um, you know, the imagine ifs. Um, and so it's good sometimes to, you know, advocate to, to lead it a little bit with a, can you remember a time when, can you remember a time when, you know, you felt really confident or you felt that you were really supported to achieve your potential. Well, guess what? That's what I want to be for you. I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but I, I'm just trying to illustrate the point. Um, don't be afraid to move the story around, to change the narrative around towards your audience and just go with that kind of idea. Can you remember a time when? Do you remember a time when blah, blah, blah? And that fit that into your narrative. That was one point. That's going backwards. So fitting back to a time when it worked or didn't. Can you remember a time when you were really scared? Can you remember a time when it really didn't work for you? Um, and then go forward, fast forward. Imagine if. Imagine, so we've, done, we've gone backwards and we've seen how dreadful it could be or how brilliant it could be. Well, imagine if. We had two of those things and want this one extra thing that you are now required to do, this little thing, put those together. Imagine, imagine if we were able to do that and what we could do with that. So don't be afraid uh, to change the map of reality around uh, to get that engagement, to get that person involved and engaged in, in, in that getting to the distant shore metaphor. It's funny because um, you've you've gone into another point and I wanted to uh, compliment you on your previous point around storytelling and... Um, just to wrap up that section before I go into my next point, JB, the um, you were talking about your Mr. Goodwin. One of my favourite teachers was a geography teacher called Mr. Walker, who's recently retired, actually. I doubt he listens. Um, I went to a school in Bedford. Um, anyway, he's quite well known. Incidentally, he was the most fantastic storyteller. And I wonder um, how teachers that we remember from our childhood would have coped doing what we are now asking people to do. And of course, many schools are trying to communicate and inspire their pupils virtually. And I do think that storytelling is, is one of these undersold skills. If we think again, the whole point of this episode is to talk about what, what can broadcasters teach us as leaders. And actually, if I think about some of the best broadcasters, they're great at telling stories. You think of, yeah. of Terry Wogan was fantastic of, mm. you know, bringing an email or a message from a listener to life um, with, with when he's reading it out and, and kind of articulating the story and encouraging people to send in their stories. Um, and so, it, you know, the, 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 the bringing things to the real world, I think, is most important. And one thing that I think comes across in authenticity, which was JB's, one of JB's early points, is that storytelling also demonstrates the human elements to it. Because if we just talk in theory and numbers and points of view without giving colour to it, it's a black and white vision. The colour comes from the storytelling. So the next presentation you do as a leader, really be conscious about what, what experience can I bring in here? So if I was to give you an example now, if I was talking to a group of people about um, customer service skills, 
it'd be all well and good for me to have three or four slides about how we're going to fix the customer service thing. And this is what we're going to do. But to JB's point, you need to bring the reality home for them. Think about the last time you made a formal complaint to an organization. Think about that for me. What was it for? You know, and I can tell you a time when I, I had to complain to, in my case, by the way, it was Virgin Media, who are a British uh, telecoms, cables, t a cable TV, uh, internet provider. Um, and so I, I would walk them through the story of this experience. Uh, and then by telling these stories, it really brings the color to life. So everything that you're talking about, try and being real life examples that aren't necessarily work related either, more personal experiences about how it made you feel. Um, and, and look, you know, COVID is still a big hot topic of agenda and it is impacting us all personally. So I think now is a better time than any where storytelling probably resonates more because actually we probably feel we know, ironically, our colleagues better now than we ever have done before. And I mean that because actually we're in their homes talking to them, their camera's on, I can see JB's uncle on a drawing, on a painting on the wall behind me, or behind him, should I say, which gives me an insight into the life behind JB's face, which ordinarily, although I've been to his house before, many of you would have not have done. So being a broadcaster, I think, is making people feel that you are in the room with them and you are sat next to them, talking to them. That for me is... is Kind of, I'm trying to bring your point into my point, which is about the, the value of feeling like there is no computer technology between you. Because the art of a good broadcaster is somebody that ironically is company for somebody who might be on their own. Um, if you think of a popular listening data demographics as an elderly listener that listens on their own at home, they don't listen to, they don't watch recordings, they don't listen to podcasts, sadly, although they're not a target listener to us, I guess but they like to listen to live broadcasts. Why? Because that person is company for them and is actually talking to them right now. That's the trick that you and I need to ask master as leaders. We need to make them feel that we're in their lounge, working from home with them, appreciative of their surroundings, and we're talking to them on a human level that they can understand because they're not in a corporate space, many of these home workers now. They are actually in. For many of them, they don't have the privilege that some of us have of a home office. They're working on their kitchen table. They're working with their kids in the background. They're working with their Uncle George on a painting on the wall behind them. Um, bring all of these experiences, uh, you know, think, uh, suck in your audience through what you see and make that... <laughs> I'm, I'm back to my knobs again, am I, JB? I saw you. I saw your oh, eyebrows raised. Um, we'll have to put an explicit warning on this one as well. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> um, well, so just um, just to recap a second, mm. uh, we've got um, the need to be authentic, the art of storytelling, uh, remember to think about storytelling, uh, think about filters to check your story, uh, we haven't got time to go into, you know, the the kind of process of um, maybe storytelling could be a podcast in the future. It'd be quite good fun. Uh, but remember kinesthetic, uh, auditory and visual, uh, all of those things, just to, to test that you've got those things covered uh, in your in your storytelling. And also, the, you know, the point about being human. And I want to flip that the other way. And I think a leader's role uh, is to help uh, their people to be authentic, help their people to tell stories, and help their people to be human. And what I have noticed during COVID is the number of times that uh, kids, dogs, even birds uh, have come into the room during uh, Zoom sessions and so on. <laughs> and, I, you know, come on, everybody, this is human. This is real. I, I, don't, I don't think um, anyone should be penalised uh, because, you know, they're being human. And, you know, these are people doing, doing their very best uh, in those situations. I, I heard a, a terrible thing the other day about some companies 
monitoring keystrokes whilst people are working from home. Have you heard about that? No. And that's interesting because we've got a listener question today about how do I monitor my team's productivity if I don't trust them? But that's... Oh, well, keystrokes, mate. What you have to do is you have to get uh, a software program that uh, tells you how many keystrokes your employees are, are, are doing every day from their computer. What a horrible idea that is. I mean, that's big brother. Gordon Bennett, we've got to trust people, haven't we? We've got to, we've got to, we've got to show people that we actually trust them because the workplace is never going to be the same again. We, we have to embrace flexible working more so than ever now, don't we, Ant? We do. You know what? You've just told me something that reminded me of a funny story. We had a, a very um, – this is, this is my more immature days as a, as a person in business. But um, I um, once managed to convince somebody in the department I worked in um, it, so just to give the listeners of the podcast a little, again, I'm telling a story here. So, um, you know, nice. when you, you know, when you walk into the, to the offices these days, instead of having light switches, they have, um, you, uh, infrared sensors on the ceiling, which then turn on the lights. If you sit still for too long, they go off. Obviously this was a new thing in 2007, 2008. And I just, I managed to convince this particular guy, naming no names, Mark, um, that I didn't say a surname. Um, I managed to, and, and I know that anyone that knows me may know of the person Mark I'm talking about. He's very, very easy to, to, to trick. Anyway, I managed to convince him that they were pace and productivity sensors. And I said that when we are training audiences, if we're sat down, it counts the fact we're not moving enough. And it's all about, it said, but you're fine, Mark, because you're quite flamboyant on your feet. You use your arms, you gesticulate. I said, see, you're fine, you're fine. Um, and I managed to convince him that these were pacing. He went absolutely apeshit. He thought it was absolutely outrageous that the business could micromanage in that way. But um, sorry, there are some that actually really do do that. Probably. Well, clearly this company with the, uh, the keystroke and incidentally, of course, don't forget for a lot of people that have like Microsoft teams and other tools, they can see when people are away from their desk and so on. But I think that, that there's a major trust issue in those organizations, which, Ooh, sounds like a whole episode in itself, doesn't it? Good luck with your retention and engagement companies that are doing these things. You will not keep your people uh, if you don't trust them. And these are fantastic signs that you don't. Stop it. Uh, teach your people to trust their people. Show them how to trust by trusting them. Otherwise, you're screwed and you'll go out of business. It's not that I'm not passionate about that. No. Um, and, and and by the way, our, our tips on being a broadcaster, we can't help you there either, other than, you know, um, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so the other thing I wanted to suggest um, was, was having the confidence to advocate, uh, you know, different views of life, different um, theories, advocate. Do, do advocate, but frame adv your advocation carefully. Uh, so I'm going to, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to take this off in a slightly different tangent. And it's a, it's a story, and I want to hear your reaction to it. Okay. So you, could use, you can use the framing of your story um, and to actually say, this touched me, it made me feel... Uh, more confident or it made me feel frustrated or whatever. I just want to get the view of everyone else here uh, when I saw this client experiencing this level of, of service or this situation. Or I saw this person do this extraordinary thing uh, in our business in, um, you know, kind of Shanghai or, or whatever. And I just thought it would be useful to tell the story. And I, I've spoken to them and I'm telling you the story of that conversation. So, um, you know, be, be prepared to advocate something quite strongly, challenging uh, the status quo. Don't be, a, don't be afraid, uh, but frame it nicely. Do some good framing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something quite controversial now. Brilliant. Mm. Um, I'm gonna be really honest and open with this group. Frame it. Don't forget to frame uh, when you're going to throw a little bomb into the room, a little grenade, because uh, it can be very, very useful uh, for getting people out of a mindset um, and getting a little bit more 
innovative. Another way of doing it um, is to think about a question. And, you know, you can you can get the group away from something into a completely different mindset and beginning to have a have a conversation about stuff. So, Ant, here's an example. Let's okay. try this. I'm ready. What what do you think um, is the best uh, motor car ever invented? Volkswagen Golf. And your reasons for saying that? Because it's a timeless classic, it's a solid family car, and they have superb sports versions of it in a Golf GTI, which throughout the years has always been an iconic vehicle for British institution, despite German engineering. Thank God, thank goodness for German engineering um, to all our German friends. Uh, I, you see, I think that's quite interesting what you said there. Uh, so my answer to that question is an Aston Martin DB4 uh, because I I fell in love with an Aston Martin DB4. A friend of mine had one and it was the most beautiful thing. It, it I mean, talk about kinesthetic. Uh, this thing uh, had the most beautiful red leather seats that smelt divine. The whole car had a smell to it that was so sweet. Um, the leather was so beautiful and soft. Uh, it was, it was so. It, the, the whole bonnet was lovely curves and beautiful classic styling. And we were going up the A3 in it, and I said, "How fast can this thing go?" And oh my God, the roar of that engine! as it took off, off up towards London. I've never experienced anything like it and never anything since. It is, it is for me, the world's best and the world's most beautiful car ever made. So we've got two different ideas there, which allows us to show that we can have different opinions and different ideas about things. Um, and, you know, we can celebrate those different ideas and views. Then we can, we can get back into now, we have to think about the restructuring of Division A. Uh, we've all got different things that we bring to the party, different ideas. Ant's idea was a golf. Uh, my idea was something that actually does go wrong quite a lot. But mm. is, is to my idea, it's still the, most, the best car ever invented. Yeah. Um, I'm coming at it from a different angle. So don't be afraid to take your audience, to take your team off and an entirely different direction and get them used to that mm. because you need to shake out almost like physically shake out all the confines and all the all the tension um and actually let them loose uh to to really think up some more uh innovative ideas and solutions and to be brave about it it's as if jb that you were laying these lovely little foundations for me because my final point i have listed here um from broadcaster tips, which is something that JB knows I talk about a lot in corporate land, which is the following statement, meaning comes from the recipient uh, mm. and not the communicator. So JB asked a question there, and clearly he, he made the point that actually we have different views of what the most iconic greatest car ever invented was. And I imagine for our female listeners, they may be less excited about the best car ever. Oh, I, I don't know. I'm making a generalization, oh, but I, I think it's I, I think it's a safe in the same way that I'm sure if we were asked what's the most iconic handbag ever, we'd probably struggle to articulate the answer there. But anyway, I digress. Um, I give it a go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Prada I think is one. Um, but um, where, where I I'll say the statement again meaning comes from the recipient as in the listener or the receiver of that communication as opposed to the communicator and and what we need to remember when we're talking to these virtual audiences is that they take on everything that we are saying but it goes through a filter system that is unique to every one of us which is a filter system that's made up of thousands and thousands of different thoughts um, experiences, beliefs, memories, surroundings, culture. So if I was, for example, to do a podcast today and I was just to say to you now, hey guys, we're going to talk to you on this podcast about restructuring. 
Now, for some of the listeners, the word restructuring could be thank fuck for that. We've been, I so want to change everything that's broken in this company, so it needs a restructure, thank goodness. But of course, for other listeners, they could be mortified because the last time they heard the word restructuring was shortly followed by you're at risk, you're going to lose your job. Mm. So we have to be even more sensitive when we can't read our audience that there is a risk of misinterpretation of the communication that we are offering to our audience. So be super conscious about the words you choose, especially if you have an international audience, as I know we do here, um, and be conscious about how you say it. So choose the right words that translate the most straightforward way and use the tone. And the example, as you know, I use JB quite a lot is if I was to say to you, I didn't say you stole my money. And I was then to say to you again, I didn't say you stole my money. The words are the same, but there are two different meanings based on me emphasizing two different words. So as a broadcaster, as a virtual facilitator, as a communicator to your teams, be conscious about what you say and how you say it, because meaning comes from the recipient and not the communicator. And they can all be forgiven. I think we could all agree if we think about a presentation that we've been to a town hall, a big keynote speech by our chief executive, and you can walk out of those meetings. And it's happened to me this week where I've been on a meeting and I've said, well, how was that for you? And they said, I found it really, really pretty challenging, actually. I'm not happy. I, I disagree with what the direction of travel is. I don't agree with this strategy and I'm really unhappy about it. And I was like, well, I, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, it's long time overdue. Congratulations. Happy days. And I think we have to be conscious if we intend to bring everybody in our audience with us, we have to be careful that we unite them. And if there are people that you are worried that may misinterpret, you might want to do some groundwork with them prior to the wider communication if you need to do so. So as a broadcaster, they don't have the luxury of a audience they can connect with to, to, to brief or debrief afterwards. Um, and if that's the type of size audience you have, then you really have to hone in your skills on a, being a great broadcaster. But obviously for most of our listeners who have small teams, just be conscious if you have a point to make that the meaning is going to cut through all of the language, all of the culture, all of the experiences of everything they've done from the minute they're born right up to this nanosecond that you're saying it, that's got to make sense to everybody consistently. Otherwise, in the absence of you being able to debrief to them very quickly, you're going to have a massive problem with a misunderstanding of what you were telling them to do a week later. Well, so uh, th th that's massively useful. Again, it fits into that intent. The intent is uh, to uh, get your audience, get your listeners uh, to think about things maybe differently uh, to how they've thought about things before, accepting the fact that they're all going to be thinking differently on the whole. And because you wouldn't want them all to be like you, would you? You know, there is there is um, a danger of people always employing people like themselves. And, uh, you know, then then innovation evaporates uh, and, you know, people people stop um, actually challenging mm. uh, because it all becomes a bit group thinky. So I, I go as far as to say that it's more important than ever uh, with with leaders having to lead more virtually that they take on the facilitation of thinking as a as a primary role they they are there to facilitate uh thinking uh in the other pe person's mind and to to be okay to be comfortable uh with the fact that that thinking is going to be different hopefully different uh within the entire team diverse thinking uh, quality thinking uh, and then that comes down to trust because if you don't trust the thinking of your team mm. particularly in a virtual world you're screwed yeah i'm conscious jb we have a, a hard stop as they say in the world of corporate oh, land right in okay. about 15 minutes and we do have two listener questions and we need to talk about our upcoming episode with our 
our first ever guest, don't we? So, oh yes, yes, definitely. You, is there anything you wanted to? I've I've covered my my three outputs that I wanted people to take away. Um, yep, I've done mine too. Ooh, Aren't we good? A bit, hey, impressive. So we um, should we do questions or should we talk about next next episode quickly? Which would you prefer? I think we should finish with a big bang in what we're doing on our next podcast. So until then, let's get stuck in to the big questions. Okay. I fortunately have them to hand because I was conscious of us being tight on time today. So You're damn good at that. Hello to Jack from Vietnam. Apologies, this has taken two weeks to respond to this question. And the question is as follows. In a remote working environment, how can I trust that productivity is going to remain consistent? Well, it's interesting, Jack, that you um, talk about trusting productivity because mm. the start point for me is trusting your people uh, with their productivity. Now, it might be that, I, that there's a sort of, you know, bit of a kind of... Um, I don't know, language difference or something on that one. But uh, in order to get trust, you have to entrust. You have mm. to entrust your people. You have to uh, give them responsibility uh, to, to do what they need to do. So how do you, how do you build trust uh, virtually? Well, you have to demonstrate that you, that you care uh, for those individuals. Uh, on a one-to-one -one basis and as a group. Demonstrate that you care. It's going back to the know me, focus me, value me. Uh, let's have a conversation and, and think about how much I need to know, what I need to know, uh, what I actually need to focus on to help you focus, because uh, actually, ideally, I wouldn't want to spend all my life focusing on what you need to focus on, because that's your job. Uh, I want to value you. And, and I want to make sure that we, our, our wires are aligned on that and not crossed. Hmm. Uh, I want to make sure that I value in the right way. So these kind of conversations build trust. And I care. I care about you. Um, and I'm going to be very consistent in the way that I operate with you because there's a hell of a lot of research that tells us uh, trust is built by managers being consistent and by caring uh, about their people. Jack, you have to be competent yourself. You have to be trusted uh, to trust your people. Sounds a bit weird, um, but but you 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 have to be competent in what you do as a as a manager. Um, now, so assuming you've got all of those things right, uh, then I believe you can trust your people with their productivity. You do not need to get a. Uh, flipping computer that tells you how many keystrokes they're doing <laughs> um, or some sort of camera that tells you how many you know moves they've made during the day so i've got a friend uh, that runs a small business and he's got four satellite offices and they have um a camera where they can all see each other's offices so there's a bit of 42 inch screen which has the four offices so they can all see each other but i said to him is that not a bit big brother and he said no no they actually really like it because then they all feel that they're all at work together but well, you see, it's about the intent, isn't it? Yeah. So if it's actually keeping everyone, oh, look, there's there's Jim down in uh, accounts yeah. in Singapore. We can see you, Jim, um, picking your nose. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, can you imagine? Uh, so uh, I, I think it's I think it's about uh, you trusting your people, Jack, not trusting the productivity. It's about you trusting the people. So, and Jack, um, to uh, I, I think everything JB said there absolutely resonates because uh, trust the fact that the word trust is in the question suggests there is a bit of an issue there. Now, I'm going to put my manager hat on rather than the leader hat on um, for a second, because traditionally, if you have some solid KPIs, that should be enough to demonstrate your team's productivity regardless of where they are. So I wonder whether the objectives that you currently measure your team's performance on are not necessarily as tight as they should be. In other words, if you haven't got those objectives into a set of measurable tasks where you can then measure the output, you're going to struggle. So I would suggest you revisit 
your objectives with your team individually. And maybe if the pandemic means they're remote working for the next short term, is you give them some shorter term, more frequently able objectives to revisit with them. But to JB's point, you need to trust what they're doing. Don't measure the process. Don't measure keystrokes. Measure the results. And if they are, if you know, with respect, if they've got tight objectives, the KPIs are self-managed. You can have honest conversations about them, how they're doing with their activity levels based on the KPIs you've given them. If you are feeling that you are unable to trust their delivery, then I don't think you're measuring your output effectively enough, if I'm really honest. Because um, my team are all remote and have been remote for the last three years. Um, I see my team, well, I haven't seen any of my team face-to-face -face, as in in the flesh for three months now because of COVID. But um, uh, everyone has, has, has else has been playing this catch-up of shit. I don't have any measures of, of, of productivity because actually half of the result is them being in the office and I can see them there. Wow. So they look busy. Brilliant. Okay, well, well done, Jack. Sorry, Jack, for using your name in vain there. But you, you need to have tight ways of measuring your people's output, not the process. And when people are working remotely right now, if you try and micromanage the hours they're keeping and measure how long they are online for in a day, you ain't going to keep them much longer beyond the pandemic. I can tell you that for now. The ones that you should be empowering are the ones that are delivering their objectives to the measurements that you have agreed collectively with them. And in fact, if they if they clock off early, well done them, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for, for me, you know, the trust should exist if the KPIs are tight and the KPIs are delivered. Excuse my language, fuck the process. At the minute, this is not normal times. And how you lead your people now, if you demonstrate any chink of your trust in your in your people, because actually it's your failing that you've not set up the right measurement tools for them, then you're going to set yourself up for fail. But I also recognise the honesty in asking us a question, so therefore you want to fix it. So as much as I might have given a pretty tough answer there, as if I'm accusing you of being the problem, I think it's great that you brought this this question. And I'm sure there are many listeners that have perhaps not realised the importance of KPIs. And KPIs can be on, you know, really, really important things to you might not be seeming important to them. But JB, anything to add? Uh, but we're just finally, I'm just going to combine the concept of fucking the process uh, with uh, a Walt Disney quote, actually, uh, which is um, don't fuck with the mouse. Uh, so I quite like the idea of sometimes, um, you know, fuck the process, uh, but don't fuck with the mouse. And Disney said that because, uh, you know, you screw around with with the mouse, i.e. Mickey, uh, or any of his mates by drawing him differently, by representing him differently, and I will fire your ass out of this organization. I'm not even going to try an American accent, but... <laughs> Uh, d don't fuck with the mouse. So, Jack, um, <laughs> uh, you know, fuck the process, as Ant says. It's about the people and, and trusting them, to talk, having the conversation with them about it, right? Um, but, you know, the, the, the business, its values, its purpose, its mission, don't fuck with that and tell them, you know, this isn't about, just don't fuck with that and we'll, we'll be fine. I'll trust you. Mm. Good question. Like that one. Uh, last question for today, conscious of time. Um, Lucy Southampton, United Kingdom. I think that's, well, it's Lucy Southampton. I think that's the UK. Um, and Lucy's a, a, a name I would suspect is, is the right Southampton. Um, this one's a, a less thinky one, but this will divide me and JB. I'm certain of it. Here we go, JB. Your yes. mus what would be your choice of music for team meetings? <gasps> oh. Ooh. We we have we we never agree on this, um, but go on, you go first, Mister Bradley. Well, it's a lovely it's a lovely lovely question, um, which you could take anywhere you like. And just so you know, listeners, his answer will be shit compared to mine. But carry on, JB. It, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a generational thing, I'm sure. Um, so I, I'm going to say I, I work on my own quite a lot. Um, so. When I'm trying to get stuff done, and I've got to get it done, and I'm I'm up against it, 
for those of you who have watched the Gladiator film, it, it comes with the most fantastic soundtrack. And I have a, I have a bit of a thing about being a Gladiator. Uh, I'm not sure how long I'd survive as one. You look very good like I, one now, in, though. In, in my fantasy, I quite like the idea of being uh, one of those for about five minutes. And so there I am working away with great gusto. He's not my co-gladiator, by the way. <laughs> and uh, I, it makes me work. I get... Oh, no, that's another song. Uh, but anyway, the, you get the theory. Uh, if you want to pump them up a bit, put some, put some pump-up music on there. Um, I could go through my playlist of my couch Give to us one. 5K music. Um, well, it's all very modern, and and I'm not sure I can remember all the... Um, now, the JB the- I know and love listeners um, tends to be incredibly eclectic with his music mix. Um, the pendulum of variety that he born out of radio has swung way beyond the genres that you and I would probably listen to. Yet I would, for me, my answer to the question would be things that 80% of the people are going to recognise and go, I haven't heard that for a while. It's it's non-offensive. Um, I wouldn't say poppy pop, but certainly popular culture music. I try and keep it as, um, although JB always mocks me for having a massive 80s, 90s fetish in my oh, music I selection. Well, I, I mean, each to their own. Yeah. Uh, I um, lose yourself. Eminem, very pumpy to get it done. Uh, very, very pumpy music. Uh, I like that. Um, and for those of you like something a little bit more um, kind of, I don't know, um, slow it down a bit. Um, Heart of Gold, Neil Young. Neil Young, uh, so many of our listeners are probably, (laughs) you know, half the age of me, but let me introduce you to um, Heart of Gold by Neil Young, one of the most beautiful, beautiful songs ever. If you want to slow it, mellow everyone down as if you're having a little, you know, you're all in the pool and you're having having a little San Miguel and a gin and tonic. And, you know, you've done the work bit for the day and you're just kind of chilling out. So Neil Young, I'd like to okay. um, suggest that. And a little bit of just, sorry, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll. I'm just going to say one more one more little one, which is uh, Charles Trenet. Uh, La mer. So, a little bit yeah, of that. Yeah, so, so, so you see, this Turn is why me and him would never agree because this 80% of the audience recognising it rule, uh, there's not one song that he's he's that JB's mentioned there. So I'm going to give you two quick answers because I'm conscious <laughs> of time. Um, this one. Movie. Yeah, I know that song. And there's a song that me and JB have actually collected. I think I heard that in Cafe Nero recently. Did you? There we go. See, very popular. And then finally, this is a song that me and JB both would put on our playlist for classrooms because it's both, without us realising, been on a playlist that we've then played, which is this one, which is actually a nice point for us to end in agreement on. Ah. Remember who it is? Um, I'm not sure how legally, how much longer I can play the song for without having to pay royalties. I can't, I cannot remember the composer, artist. Oh, it's so good though. Oh, him. Yeah. Um, Ian Brown. Ian Brown. <laughs> that is a good song. I think we can both agree. Yeah. Yes, yes, and um, that, Lucy. That's the winner. I, I think we can both agree. Yeah. Fear. Um, namaste. Is, is the, namaste. <laughs> we can we can agree on that. Happy yeah. to do that. And nice one. To have we, that in the background. Yes. Nice listener questions this week. Um, uh, uh, so yes, we love your questions. Please send them in. globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. If you love our podcast, please rate us five star on the various podcast. We platforms. do regularly. Yes, we do. We self rate zero. <laughs> Because um, you know, just to, to keep us on our on our toes, um, JB. I think it's important that we we give a little promo to our guest, our special guest, the first yes, ever podcast absolutely. guest we have um, next week. 
Yes, yeah, so um, Ant, um, I don't quite how he got this big celebrity name, but uh, anyway, we had we have um, the, the pleasure uh, of uh, Ian Dale's company, and with Ian Dale, who's an LBC broadcaster, um, as well as a publisher. He's sold a publishing company for a boatload of money. Um, he's uh, a writer. He has columns in every newspaper you could ever possibly imagine. He's a fascinating individual, mm. very entrepreneurial, um, and got some very interesting insights uh, about the world of politics um, and how that might impact the world of uh, business and industry. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, the title of our uh, podcast is um, Leading Teams Where Passions and Politics Are Rife in a No Normal World. Catchy, hey? Yeah. And from my perspective, uh, being JB and myself, a long-time listener of Ian Dale, he's one of the few broadcasters which you can agree or disagree with his opinions quite strongly, but still like the man which I think is, yeah. a, is a unique thing. And I think there's there's value that we can all take from him as a manager of people as to how do we lead people that we could absolutely, outside of work, hugely disagree with. Oh, God, they're talking about Brexit again. Oh, geez. How do we, how do we support that in the workplace effectively? So anyway, really looking forward to that interview. Um, not sure how long we're going to have him for, but let's um, let's see how he is. He did talk us up on his for the many podcasts I heard. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> he said, "Don't really know what that's about, but we'll give it a go anyway." Um, so hopefully, he will fall in love with us as you listeners do. But um, I think if we get him for more than twenty to thirty minutes, he loves us, and we'll let the listeners put the clock on it. Oh, if, shit. if if he wants to, if he wants to leave after fifteen minutes, uh, it, it, we've we've basically failed. Okay. Um, but anyway, let's see. Let's see how long we can engage him. Mm. Uh, we might be able to do it for two or three hours. You never know. We need to delete this episode off of the podcast systems if if we fail. Otherwise, people will realise that we're a fraud and shit at interviewing. <gasps> anyway. We set ourselves. We've set ourselves a massive challenge there, and yeah. If I'm not mistaken, you have a meeting in two minutes, and I have a meeting in ninety seconds. Oh my goodness gracious. It's a crazy, crazy, non-stop, no normal, mad world. That's another good song, actually, by the way. It is, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's goodbye for me. I've been Anthony Price. And I've been Jonathan Bradley. It's been a blast. <laughs>